showing you how to reignite the embers of a distant and lonely relationship into a blazing, emotionally intimate connection. I'm your host, Amber Dawson. I'm a psychologist, author, and speaker. A few of my favorite things are my husband, Grapes, and my adorable little dog, Riggs. Now let's learn how to create a soul crush in love that lasts. Hit subscribe in your podcast app so that simply by listening, you can rekindle your relationship by pouring a little gas on your relationship ember. This podcast is for informational purposes and should not be misconstrued for specific relationship advice. For advice for your specific relationship, seek a local couples therapist for relationship counseling for couples therapy. All right, everybody, welcome back to Relationships Like the Podcast. And we've been talking about communication lately, and we've talked about how the number one thing that my couples tell me when they come to therapy, if I ask, what do you come for? 90% of couples say communication. And today we have a psychologist who's going to, or you're, you're a psychologist, right? I am. So, yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. She has two degrees in psychology. She's a doctor. So I put two and two together and I'm like, oh, she's a psychologist. But I thought before I go saying titles, <laughs> I should I should clarify that one. Um, and so I think she's going to give us so much wisdom and I'm really excited as we continue to explore more with how do we communicate well to our partner to get our message really seen, heard, understood. And I'm sure she's got lots of tweaks and tools for us so that we can better communicate with the person we love the most. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Jessica Higgins. As you already heard me say, she has two graduate degrees in psychology, not one, but two. Uh, she has two coaching certifications and over 20 years of experience helping clients achieve successful results. She's the host of Empowered Relationship Podcast, and she helps people navigate the terrain of long-lasting intimacy more skillfully and mindfully. And if you've been in a long-term relationship, you know how that ebbs and flows. And sometimes we just need a little bit of help. Through her coaching online course, she helps clients transform their pain into love and connection. So welcome to the show, Jessica. I'm so excited to hear what you have to say. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation with you. Yeah, me too. Okay. So fill me in. Uh, what made you decide, you know, psychology is such a broad topic and a lot of people don't want to work with couples. They find couples really challenging. How come you want to work with couples? Hmm. That's a great question. Well, for many people and myself included, I grew up in a pretty progressive family where I was taught I statements and a lot about communication. I had an undergrad in psych. I grew up in a pretty personal growth environment. So I was exposed to a lot of, uh, I think just personal growth philosophy. And so I thought I was pretty well equipped to navigate intimacy and, this was a prior relationship, but the dynamics that we got into Amber just floored me. And we went to these really painful places and not so much in it toxicity or abusive, but just these back and forth. And really, honestly, it was a lot of the criticism and defensiveness, me being more defensive. And if I could help you understand and explain to you, you wouldn't have to feel so concerned or, oh, you know, and it really was yeah. like, honestly, on, I'm pretty, there's not a lot that was like, egregious, but just his level. And now that it fast forward 20 plus years, I understand that a lot of it was fear-based and mm -hmm. feeling threatened, mm -hmm. but at the time I didn't really know that. And so it really lended me to do a deeper dive in what gets activated in intimate relationship. I actually did my dissertation on conscious intimate relationship, and it was a meta-analysis looking at all these other studies that really looked at these 
relational dynamics that perhaps the average person doesn't have access to. And so I started from there as a launch pad, but then I feel like the work that I heavily use is a lot of the attachment work. So the EFT principles, emotionally focused therapy, and just how critical on a fundamental level, if those things are not addressed, then we're likely to get into these disconnect cycle places that are really painful. Mm. So it's personal, but also like very much my passion of being able to help others too. Yeah. As, as I'm struck by that, like sim- similar to you, you start to see how your own experiences and relationships uh, really shape what you become interested in, in some way, shape or forms. And it's like, you might've already had an interest, but then, well, with anything in life, like when it's important to you, you just get more and more interested in it. And I think um, my experience has been when I started to learn why I was doing things the way I was doing them, when my partner was doing things the way that he was doing them, um, it really helped me come at him more compassionately and also understand within myself, why am I reacting that way? And is there another way I could try to have that need met? But for so often in my life, it was just this automatic, like, oh, I am yelling now. And this is what you do. Cause that that's what I was taught. Or, and then other times they could be very empathetic and very sensitive. Um, and, and I didn't really know the middle ground. I was either like a yeller or like just taking everybody's stuff on. I had no idea there was a middle and it wasn't until I understood attachment needs and I understood, um, just these very core, like needing to be loved, appreciated, uh, needing to feel special, needing to be seen just some of these needs. I didn't, I didn't get it. And then I was like, why am I acting this way? And then after I realized what I was doing, I was like, oh, okay, there's, there might be some other tools. So I guess let's use attachment here as a bit of a jumping off point. Um, when people are in conflict, tell us what attachment, well, first, what does attachment even mean for people that are hearing this word right now? They're like, what is that? What is attachment? Yes. Well, there's a lot to say on this. I know we could probably spend the whole episode, but in a nutshell, we all are wired up with an attachment system that includes the way that we perceive others and the relationships. So this starts, I mean, from birth or maybe even in utero and really it's the relational imprint. And it starts from those first fundamental years of like zero to three, zero to four, where we're experiencing the world and relationship and how people show up for us. And that helps us get that imprint and that roadmap, if you will, of relationships. So it's a physiological sense of that. I'm safe. People are going to respond to me. It's okay to express my needs. And this is as like pre-verbal. We don't even have intellectual understanding of this. It's just like we're wired up for bonding. We're social animals. We need our caregivers to survive in the very first, you know, several, several years. And so we learn how to negotiate that. And so if it's safe and secure, we have thoughts of like, I am going to get my needs met or emotionally, I feel safe in the world. And so it's this very comprehensive experience around relationship and how one experiences the world. And so we learn certain tendencies if we're not getting our needs met. And this is super gross, right? For research, we simplify it and you'll hear some people categorize it more just two, three attachment styles, right? Avoidant or two insecure attachment styles, avoidant or anxious, or you're secure. So that's three, but then you'll have other you'll have anxious avoidant, you'll have, there's different dismissive, you know, you'll, you'll hear different categorizations, but for the average person, just to recognize that if we haven't had our needs met on a consistent basis, then we're likely to going to, excuse me, we're likely going to have certain ways in which we negotiate that. 
whether or not it's coping skills or uh, tendencies. So if we've had a sense of neglect or even abuse, relational, emotionally, physically, sexually, or anything, we might, and this is on a chronic level, because we look at child experiences and that's zero to 18. And right, that's, there's a cumulative effect here. So we learn to turn away. I can't trust that others are safe. My nervous system doesn't actually feel relaxed on with others. I don't know that I'm going to be safe with them and that my needs matter versus more of the inconsistent care. We're likely to feel a little bit more anxious around, are you there? And that checking. So what this looks like then in adulthood is our love relationship is experienced as survival similarly to the same significance as a caregiver. So we might have certain experiences in childhood and then we proceed in life and adulthood and we're having friends and coworkers and being in the world and feeling super competent. And then we enter into a deeper love relationship and we might activate these old attachment relational models that trigger certain habits or tendencies to protect ourselves. And there was wisdom in this. Like, I don't want to make this bad or wrong at all. It's just how we got through certain life experiences and environments. So then we're looking at how we relate. And when this looks at, when we talk about conflict in relationship, it's not just, oh, you are home late or you didn't do X, Y, and Z that you said you were going to do. It activates this old experience of relationship of like, I don't know that I matter. I'm afraid you're not with me. I'm afraid you're going to leave me. I'm afraid I'm not good enough. And we're not conscious of this. This is all on a deeper level. So that's yeah. a lot, but that is kind no, that, of a was, that was a great summary. That was like okay. an excellent summary. And I think there's just a few things you really said there. Like it's not, it's not that anybody's bad or wrong. These things were adaptive. You learned them yes. because of your settings and they worked as, as in your child needs. And then part of what happens as we age, we need to figure out, do they still work given our current yes. life circumstances, but we learned them because they work and they were adaptive yeah. and they were good for you. And they helped you survive to the point you're at. So we don't want to pathologize or say these things are, are bad because they're not just, we get to a point in our lives where we need to re-examine, do we still need them for our current stage of development? And I like how you also said, um, it's not that you're conscious of them. These are things that aren't verbal and they're stored in our memories before we even think about them. And so sometimes we can be like, well, why do I think this? Or how come they think that it's, it's not necessarily conscious. It might be conscious sometimes, but not all times. So let's, you gave some examples here. So you gave the example of, I think late. And so late for some people just means I'm late. I was busy. I got caught up at work. I was in a snowstorm. You know, it, it can just mean on, on the surface, like I was late. But if someone's attachment is active, you just started to get into that. What happens if your partner is late? How come people don't see it as just late? Right. I love your point because you can have a range of people and somebody's like, sweet, they're late. I get to check my email or fill in something, other tasks that they hadn't had a chance to get to. And then for someone that maybe doesn't feel as safe or secure in the relationship. And again, this makes perfect sense. Usually when we look at one's experience, what that looks like is perhaps someone who's a little bit more anxious tendencies is, oh my gosh, are they coming? Did they remember? Are they still, do they still like me? I mean, again, this won't even feel rational and then maybe we won't even have a lot of like real connection to it, but it's just this kind of reactive thoughts, fleeting thoughts. And it, and it feels a little, it activates that fear. And so it's, are we still good? 
are we still going to go on this date or whatever it is, but it's along those lines of, are we still connected? And then someone that's in the camp of, uh, am I good enough? Right. Then they might have other thoughts that come up around that around like, oh, maybe they don't respect me, or maybe they don't really value my time, or maybe they just don't think I'm good enough to really show up. I mean, again, it's probably not that deep. It's usually a little bit more reactive. And part of the thing about criticism and why this is helpful to talk about sometimes is because when we experience an ouch, right, if the being late hurts, we're usually our normal human tendency is to point to the thing that hurts. Yes. And it's a form of protest, right? It's a like, ouch, this hurt, look at this, help me. And it's an t- attempt to get it resolved and a need to get met, but really like to feel understood and feel a sense of attention around or responded to. And yet in relationship, that's very easily distorted because when we lead with a criticism, somebody's likely to get, to get defensive and feel mischaracterized, but that's kind of bringing that in. But to your point, like that, that's usually there's things getting activated in a very, what could be neutral uh, circumstance. Yeah. Well, I think what's really important is what you just said. So we're activated and because we are activated, we're trying to draw attention to whatever this hurt or the sore spot is kind of a raw spot or a vulnerable area. And then often that can come out in a critical way. And most people don't mean to be critical. They just mean to draw attention to it. And, and they're even can be quite shocked if, I point out that this is, they're coming across critical and they can feel angry with me or like blindsided or very confused. Well, then what do I do? What am I supposed to, am I supposed to say nothing? And the answer is no, you're not supposed to say nothing. We want you to address your needs. Uh, Just how do you do that? Okay. So let's, let's switch to criticism for a second there. So you started to talk a little bit about that, why people might do criticism. So I guess most listeners at this point probably do know what criticism is and how to define that and understand it. But I don't always think everybody knows Um, so help us understand from your point of view, what actually is criticism? What are we talking about? Yeah, it's typically, I mean, leading with some type of complaint or value judgment or some type of judgment that is pointing out something negative or has some type of evaluation uh, attached to it. So, and this is usually in relationship when we're pointing to something with some type of complaint and even blame, and it often feels critical. And so I can pause there because there's so much I can say about this, but does that help give you a sense of what I'm referring to? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so if somebody's starting to go to, okay, I do this, what would you hope that they're taking away from our, our bit of a conversation about attachment and what's being activated in them? Okay. So I just want to back up even a little bit around the context of relationships. So, and even culturally, right. When we look at just our lives, particularly in the West and we're both in the United States. So there's tends to be a priority around achievement, accomplishment, and even the intellect and being rational and reasonable. And Mm -hmm. so we flex these muscles a lot. And sometimes they're heavily reinforced by careers. Like people are an analyst or they're, you know, an attorney or they're a scientist. Like we potentially even use these critical thinking skills throughout the day. And perhaps we've gotten a lot of positive feedback, be it in school or other venues where this is highly prized. So it can be very much a strength. And then when we put on the relational hat, There's two big challenges with approaching your significant other with criticism, or even Mm -hmm. it might even not 
necessarily be a complaint or a blame, but even that critical thinking and analyzing can still feel critical, right? When we characterize something in a particular way that usually is about the other person. And one way to just kind of distill this a little bit further is when you're out of your lane and you're talking about your partner and what's going on in their lane, right? Like that in of itself could be felt as criticism, even if there's no intention to be you know, cause any harm, but that that can be experienced as criticism. So the two main things that are typically, excuse me, typically problematic is that in relationship, I would say most people are not interested in unsolicited feedback. Yeah. This is not an arena where we want to be evaluated, where we want to be critiqued, We want to feel safe. We want to feel understood. We want to feel known. We want to feel loved and appreciated. This is a safe haven. Yeah. Right. So, and not to say that feedback isn't helpful. I think partners really learn from each other, but it's unsolicited. Yeah. Right. That, that, and without even asking permission, right? Like we just offer up this critique. And so most people either aren't prepared, excuse me, aren't prepared or they feel blindsided or it has this kind of tension around it. And again, if we talk about co-regulation and the nervous systems, even if somebody's saying something very tactful and diplomatically, the nervous system, if somebody's got some charge, your partner's likely going to pay more attention to the nonverbal, right? Nonverbal communication is what 80 percent plus of communication. So it's not even the words because I think people, when we listen to podcasts, read books, it's easy to craft language in a particular way and think that we're myself included, like, Oh, I'm, I'm in my lane. And yet my partner is responding to my charge or my reactivity. Okay. So second main point around why I think criticism can be extremely difficult is it typically is directing and orienting away from what really matters. Yeah. And so let's say I'm hurt or I'm scared and I want to feel that my partner sees that and wants to help and cares. But if I lead with the criticism of what he's doing wrong, and let's say he feels mischaracterized, he's going to be busy trying to craft reality with me or defend the characterization. And so we're busy going back and forth around who's particular, you know, what, what reality is correct. Who said what the facts of the situation, the logic, the illogicness of it, the, (laughs) the misunderstanding. Yeah. And right. Research shows that we're largely inaccurate when tensions are high to perceive and remember correctly. Right. So then you add that into the mix, all that to say we're off track right? The real thing is like, ouch, I'm hurting. I need you. I want to feel understood and seen, and I want to feel your response. But if I've led the conversation and again, makes perfect sense. I do this myself and it's super normal and super, you know, we have a lot of habits around this, but if, if I lead with that, then we're likely to get off track. Yes. You've said so many good things here. And I keep thinking about, um, I often talk about this example of golf. My husband and I took up golfing with him a few years ago because my, my parents golf and he golfed. And I thought, well, what a great thing we can all do together, but I don't golf. 
And my husband and I are both high level athletes in many things and, and both good at many things. So it's, it's really hard to be not good at something that I do. I really particularly don't like it. I don't know <laughs> if, you, if any of you have ever tried to do something with your spouse. Like it's particularly challenging because one, you want them to think you're great. And two, they try to help you. I don't think there's anything harder than trying to learn something from your spouse. And so we start golfing and naturally I suck. And he's helpfully trying to give me advice, like really, really nice. Like he's not doing anything wrong but I'm snapping at him because I'm feeling defensive, even though he's not, he's trying to stay like, he's just trying to be a nice guy and I'm snippy and snappy. I'm feeling defensive. I'm overwhelmed because I don't want him to see me as not the best. And so we had to talk about golf a lot about how do we golf together and stay in our own lanes. And so now, even sometimes now that I've improved my, my golf game a little, I can even see sometimes when he's doing something, if I watch him do the same mistake over and over and over, we now have a system for our own lanes and it's, do you want my feedback? Mm-hmm. If they say yes, we give it. If they say no, we don't give it, which is hard sometimes because you want to give it, but it saved us a lot of fights because even though like if it was from anybody else in the world, it'd probably be fine. But from your partner, it just doesn't feel fine sometimes. And I loved your other point about the workplaces that set it up. I, I was re- recently working with a couple and He's like, I don't get it. I just did a 360 review with my team. They all gave me feedback, so much critical feedback. And the minute my wife says anything, I just get so defensive. I can't hear it from her. So that that was an excellent point. We can get it in other domains of our life. It's so normal. But at home, that's not what we want to hear. Okay, so take us to your second point was like, if we're giving that criticism, we're directing away from what matters. Mm. So- people some people get stuck here Hmm. what matters how how do people even figure that out (laughs) Amber that's such a good question because likely I mean myself included like I said out of the gate if I'm triggered or upset by something the first impulse is to protest and talk Mm -hmm. about and point to what hurts Mm -hmm. and so that's the natural reaction is to describe attribute perceive the other in a particular way and have emotions about that So that's like layer, that's the top layers. And when we look at what really matters, this takes a deeper dive into connecting into the deeper layers. And that is not always, that's often below the field of consciousness. Cause again, we are human, we're wired up to protect ourselves. And hence we're not walking around as this vulnerable, like oozing, (laughs) you know, revealing all these really tender places in us because that would feel incredibly threatening. And we're likely to get hurt because not everybody is safe and trustworthy. So in our intimate bond, we do want to feel the sense of intimacy. We do want to feel this sense of closeness and we do want to be deeply known. And we really want to deeply know our significant other. And so in order to access that connection, part of it is getting a little clearer and accessing those deeper feelings. So that's the primary emotion, right? Sometimes we're like, I'm so freaking angry, but sometimes anger is a secondary emotion, right? So can we dial that in a little bit more around like, okay, so what's underneath that? And oftentimes for me, what it looks like is I will basically use a scrap piece of paper, something that I'm 
going to shred or just toss away. And I start with all the, like, here's my case and here's all the reasons why I'm upset and how it makes sense. And I just self-validation of like, this sucks. And then I go into a little bit more around what that means for me, or if he were to have done what I wanted him to do, how would that help me feel? And so it helps me get at these deeper layers. And then usually I have this physiological sense of resonance of like, oh, I'm scared or, oh, I'm hurt or whatever it is. And so then that helps me understand the deeper layers and the vulnerability. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I, I like what you're saying here, like kind of journaling it out, scrapping, scrap, scrap papering it out, getting your validation for yourself. And so, you know, I'm thinking just of a few clients popping to mind that would, that would struggle with this. Yes. And so I'm thinking, okay, so how about, let's imagine it's a superficial thing. Like I asked my partner to take out the garbage and to me, it feels like they have violated a contract by not yeah. taking out this. I asked you, you said, yes, you didn't do it. And now I'm irate and I want to snap at you. What, what should they even think about is they're journaling that out and trying to figure out what lies beneath. Yes. That's a great question. I have a ton of prompts that usually I work with or recommend oh, to people and just even out of the gate, right. Just giving permission around like, yes, we had an agreement. It feels like a broken agreement, not showing up all the things that feel upsetting about it. And then the, the charge, right. This is in self-help and personal growth and psychology. We'll hear when there's a level of intensity about it, that feels bigger than the actual, what seems like the actual, uh, event. Oftentimes there's potentially past pain or hurt associated mm-hmm. with it. And then, you know, we don't need to get into too much of that, but to your question around the trash, right? So for me, one, like I had just posed, if I asked the question, what would my significant, what would it mean to me? Or how would I feel if my significant other took out the trash? Mm. Yeah. And what happens to me? What do I experience? What is it like for me when that broken agreement or when my significant other doesn't follow through? What am I experiencing? What is in my world? So the description around, like almost if you were to kind of artistically, creatively describe the nuances and the different things that happen, right? Where do I go in my thoughts? Where do I go emotionally? What happens in my body? And that can lend to a lot more information. Yeah. I'm just thinking for this client, I bet if she said like, what, what would it mean if he did it? I'm thinking that would mean he cared about me. He took me seriously. I was important. What does it mean that he doesn't, that he just doesn't care. He doesn't see me. I don't even exist to him. Yes. And so I think those two prompts are really good. Cause even I can imagine what she'd say on either side. And it's about more than just the garbage. Yes. And that's the thing that her significant other would likely soften or respond to. Now there's blocks that get in the way of this type of connecting and being able to reveal, I'm afraid you don't care when you don't take out the trash. My experience is I worry that you don't care Mm -hmm. or that I don't matter. Yeah. And likely her significant other didn't understand how that happened for her. That's where she went with it. Like if I know the trash means like that, my partner has that experience, 
like I might have all kinds of justifications around why I didn't take out the trash and it made perfect sense to me. And if it's just a neutral transactional thing, like, oh, you know, I did all these other things, right? We all often yeah, yeah. do that and really, yes, like, I just did all these amazing, like I have this laundry list of all the things I did and that now you're focused on the trash, right? Yeah. And yet if that's what the experience is, right? And we love our partner and how much they mean to us, right? Then we understand how to help. And it's not that we're responsible for, but it's in relationship, knowing how these things really matter and where, what, what the impact is. I like what you just said. I even lost the word you just said, but it made me think one of the things when I'm talking about, instead of using criticism, I say, you know, set your partner up to be your hero, not the villain mm. of the story, because often we make them out to be the bad guy. We make them out to be the villain. And then they act like the bad guy. We're like, oh, what are you talking about? I didn't do anything wrong. I did all these other things. So who cares about the garbage? You're being rational. Like that doesn't make any sense at all. And we get, we get our backs up if we make them out to be the bad guy. And so instead, like, how do we set them up to be the hero? And that can seem like an over-dramatization to some people. They're like, they're not the hero. They're taking out the garbage in this case, but it's just tell them what you want. So I need to feel cared about when you take out the garbage that really helps me feel like you care. And we're talking about something superficial. I had just someone popping into mind as we were talking about this, um, but it can be about bigger things too. Um, Absolutely. That, that we blame about. And I, I like those questions. Like, what would it have meant for me if this was done? So what was the second one? So it goes again, what would it have meant for me if they did this? It's the, really the reverse. And what happens okay. for me when it doesn't happen? Or yeah. what's it like for me in the experience of that? Like multifaceted, like what yeah. happens in the description? That was so good. And I think, you know, if we can think about our partner, the other point you made is our partners love us. But when we're activated, it can be so easy to forget because all those attachment fears are going off and we forget that fundamentally most of our partners, at least they started with us because they cared for us or they wouldn't be with us. And most of them, even if we're in a lot of turmoil and things aren't great, they still want us to generally be okay. And when we can speak to them about our true hurts, our true feelings, often, not always, most of the time, they do better because they do care. Absolutely. And I love what you said about setting them up to be the hero, right? I think to that point around, it's a distraction, right? Getting off track when we lead with the criti criticism, if we set them up to be the hero, it's so vulnerable. It's so much easier said than done. I can't tell you, I work with extremely competent people in my practice, right? Ivy leagues, scientists, lawyers, executives, executives, like it sounds like you do too. Mm -hmm, and yeah. so it's amazing how the average person, myself included out of the gate, we actually don't know what we need. We don't yeah. actually know what we're to your point earlier. Like, how do you get in contact with that? Cause it's yeah. not always visible. And so yeah. to set someone up for success, we actually need to do that deeper excavation around what that deeper need or what is that experience, that attachment need or the fear, and then being able to reveal that so that our partner can help. Yes, absolutely. It's like, and it's so it's even like, like you said, I'm vulnerable to it. You're vulnerable to it. The other, my, my husband and I, we have dinner time usually, but I realize I'm usually not done work until five minutes after the dinner time. And so I asked him a few weeks ago after, you know, I kept noticing he was eating and I'd come down. I don't even know how he's feeling. I'm just like, he's doing it without me. Um, and I, I got my feelings hurt. And then I asked him, can we move dinner back five minutes? Because then I know I'll be on time. And so, you know, he says, yes. And the other night I walked downstairs and he's eating dinner. And my heart was like, I was, mm -hmm. I was ready. I was like tired already. My heart was like, but he's eating without me. He didn't care. And he doesn't listen to me. And I'm walking downstairs and I feel this activation. I'm like fired up. 
ready to go. I had to turn around, walk myself back upstairs and go, okay, hold on. What's happening to you here? How come, how come we are so mad? He's eating dinner. Like, yes, you feel left out, but how do you want to approach this? And I had to, like I said, walk myself back up the stairs and, and rethink about it. And we're all vulnerable to this. Even you now as a couple therapists, we're vulnerable to it. Like you said, like really lovely population doing great things, lawyers, doctors, like accountants, you name it, brilliant people. And we all can struggle in relationship. Yes. So how come, so we've been talking about criticism. How come thinking about criticism and, and managing how we complain to our partner is important for a healthy relationship? Well, if I'm hearing you correctly, one of the primary reasons why we enter into relationship is this sense of bondedness, is this sense of connection and feeling again, as I mentioned, seen, held, supported, and this connection that is intimate and we can let our hair down, we can drop our guards, we can really feel safe again with the safe haven. And so when we aren't feeling that sense of safety and security, again, it's habit. We learned it growing up likely. It's safer to feel intellectual and approach, approach things from this intellectual analyzing, analyzing place versus to be vulnerable. That is so tender. And when we've known trauma, when we've known relational hardship, that's terrifying, right? I don't want to yeah. underestimate the, 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 um, the ask of that. And at the same time, when we are in protection in our primary relationship, right? You said it's easy to feel the other person as threatening or as the villain. And it's so, so much of a cycle, these moves that we make that it can tend to lead towards a vicious cycle. So the mm -hmm. criticism typically leads with, or the response is defensiveness, right? And then if we cycle this several times, the feelings of disconnect of feeling blamed or feeling abandoned or feeling not good enough or these type of really painful places. And this can happen in a nanosecond. And then if we put this on repeat, I mean, as John Gottman talks about in the Gottman Institute, criticism and defensiveness is one of the main predictors of divorce and breakup right? If we fast forward this, and this is the climate of the relationship, right? We're not in a society where we need each other to survive for food, shelter, those type of things. So when we don't have this connection, it starts to really breed a lot of questions around the worth of staying connected. If we're feeling so alone and disconnected and hurt by the dynamics. Mm -hmm. And I think what you just said is so true. So many of my couples, when they're coming in, they're saying, are we even compatible anymore? Yeah. I'm lonely. And I want to know, can we get our connection back? And that's the primary thing they want in the relationship. They want, they say, they write, there's two main themes that come up. One, communication. Two, connection. Three, are we compatible? That's what we want to figure out. And I think so many couples, you know, when we meet, we're swept up. We've got the oxytocin, the dopamine, the serotonin. It's all nicely coursing through our nervous systems. It sets it up easy to connect. It's easy to talk. It's easy to listen. It's easy to meet each other's needs. And with the passage of time, we lose 
the neurotransmitter boost that helps us along and sets, sets the stage for these beautiful conversations. And, and we're projecting tools. in that, yeah. in that we don't, we're filling in the blanks. We actually yes. don't have all the information when we don't yes. know someone fully. So that's another added piece I would add oh, yes. to the romance. Great phase. addition, great yeah. addition, right? Like we're going in with all our hopes and dreams, what we hope is, and eventually we're confronted with the reality of what it is actually. And <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, so many of us without the, the help of all the neurotransmitters, we don't know how to communicate. We don't know how to connect. And we remember that we did connect. But we're like, how, how do I do that again? How do I be close with that person again? How are they my best friend, my lover, my my team member on that chores? How are they my adventure partner? Instead, they're, they're, I'm like, I share a house with you. You're in the walls of my home, but I feel alone. Sometimes I feel less alone when you're gone. Precisely. And when we look at that second stage or what I like to see as like that power struggle stage, right? When things become the the neurotransmitter flowing starts to dissipate and the fog clears and we are seeing a little more clearly, we're also going to get triggered by that conflict or those differences. And then what gets activated, right? When we're talking about it, the attachment system, we might actually be surprised by how much reaction we'll experience. And so Mm -hmm. our tendency is to protect. And then it looks like react, react. And then we're in this loop that like, this feels crappy. This Mm -hmm. isn't at all what I signed up for. No. Are we compatible? Like this is awful. Yeah. You you keep mentioning this loop. And I think this is a helpful thing for people to understand. So you kind of already talked about someone criticizes the other person defends and we get stuck in a loop and there's other patterns that people get into. And it's my experience personally and professionally is it's easier to see what your partner does in the loop sometimes For than sure. what you do in a loop. Uh, but usually if our partner is behaving in a way like they're the critical one to me, I can see that they're criticizing me, but it's harder sometimes to see what am I doing repeatedly over and over and over again when I'm feeling criticized. So if somebody's hearing the word loop and they're going, oh, gee, for the first time I might be seeing that there's something I do repeatedly. Is there any steps or suggestions that you might have for people to identify what their part of the cycle is? Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're exposed to the infinity loop, Scott Woolley developed, or I did a oh, no. training with Debbie Diaz and I'm happy to send it to you. If you want to put it on the show notes for people to look, it's a little yeah, heady, but it does give this real direct. So Debbie Diaz talks about the bow tie and it's essentially the loop as well. And I love her language because when we are in relationship, and what partner A is doing and what it looks like on the outside is typically going to land with us on the inside. So let's just Mm -hmm. take the being late. Okay. So my partner's late and then how that lands with me. Oh, does he respect me or does he, is he really into this? Like, are we really good? But I don't show that, right? We're talking about the vulnerability. We typically have moves that we protect ourselves and we're typically not even aware of that deeper fear. And so the way that I might respond is I get a little aloof or mm. I get a little questioning. That's, that's probably more common. I'll go with the more questioning. So in an attempt to protect myself, I get super pursuey. Like I start mm. to pursue and I ask questions and my questions can sound very pointed and 
like I said, the charge is probably being felt on a nonverbal level. So my, my significant others feeling the charge, hearing the questions, and then the questions are landing with him on the inside mm. of like, shoot, I did something wrong. I, I hate disappointing her. I'm failing her. I'm not good enough. All of that. Are, I'm afraid I'm not good enough. And then the protection is perhaps to get quiet, mm-hmm. to say less and shut down. And then the saying less triggers on the inside for me, where the mm. heck is he? I need him to respond, but he's not responding. He's shutting down. He's doing the very opposite thing of, that I need him to do. And then the volume gets turned up on this cycle, right? Mm-hmm. I start to get a little louder and start to point out, maybe get critical of like all the times you've been late. We've talked about this so many times, you know, all the things that the case, and then again, the stronger that I get and how that lands with him and feeling more crappy, or maybe even getting overwhelmed and feeling like, I don't want to say anything that's going to hurt us. And then getting even quieter, perhaps looking, well, look at the time, let's go, you know, whatever it is to like distract. And then that feels like more avoidance. And then you can see how this just is vicious. So around and around and around yes. we go. Yeah. Whew. Okay. So let's matter. Someone listens to this podcast. And they start to notice the cycle. They start to see it happening. Any tips for people when they start to see the cycle? What what can they do about that? Yes. Well, I would recommend if you and your significant other are interested in getting some more framework, I really fully believe in Dr. Susan Johnson's hold me tight. She wrote that several years ago and it just gives people a little bit more of the research that supports this as well as the landscape around how to get out of these vicious cycles and how to get more into connection. So that's a real good self-help tool. There's also people who do workshops. There's clinicians all over the world that facilitate more emotionally focused therapy to help create more of a therapeutic container that is safe to start looking at these negative patterns and how to get into more connection patterns. So if somebody's listening, I think depending on to what degree it's escalated to or how intense the pain is or how much the accumulation is, will determine will self-help be sufficient or will getting extra support. Look, my husband and I have gotten support. I still seek support occasionally for my own stuff. Like Obviously I'm going to say that I believe in this work and I'm of this field, but, um, I do think that unless we've really self-studied or been in an environment, uh, it can be difficult to negotiate things without having an understanding of what's at play or what's going on. Yeah. Very hard, very hard sometimes. Okay. So we've talked a lot about criticism or saying, okay, on a high level, if you're seeing these patterns, you know, there's some other self-help resources like hold me tight, or maybe it's accessing some local supports or going to a workshop. There's other, you know, places you can get support out there. But if someone, we've been talking a lot about criticism. And so let's imagine someone's just seeing the criticism part of this. We've asked, we've thought of a couple of questions we could ask ourselves. Let's imagine we've done our journaling. Yes. Thank like, you. I know what's really going on. Yeah. Figured it out. I know that I'm about the time. I know I'm hurt because I don't feel valued and, uh, I want to feel safe and know that I matter. And when you show up on time, it means that let's say I've got that figured out. What tips do you have for how do we actually articulate that to our partner? Yes. 
Yes. So when I've done this work, Amber, it's uh, usually making sure there's a time and a place that we can, my husband and I can really land together. And what I mean by that is he's not busy or I'm not having to leave or we're not hungry or super tired. Right. I know this is not new information, but it's so important because it does increase the likelihood that we're going to have a little bit of space to really connect and have a deeper conversation, like a heart to heart, right? People are familiar usually with that terminology. So that's, a little bit of setting the table or prep work to have this conversation. And then if it's not clear, like a lot of the times when my husband and I have something that gets us off track, we're both very aware and we know that we're going to repair. And it just depends on when we have that time and space to really do that repair work. So sometimes it doesn't need a lot of spelling out. However, depending if this is a new try at this, and you're trying something new that it might be helpful to spell out. So the other day, last Thursday, when we had planned to meet for dinner and you were 15 minutes late, I'm not sure if you knew, but I want to share with you what happened for me on the inside and even just Mm -hmm. perhaps even using that language. So it's really helping your partner know that there's something that feels challenging or there's an issue And then I'm really trying to do my best to share the vulnerable parts. Mm. And this doesn't need a lot of intellectual framing because at the end of the day, that couple sentences of, I felt scared that you didn't care or that you don't respect me. Mm. Like that's where I went and Mm. not so much just even saying it, Amber, but actually being able to show some of that, because that's where we get information is through those microfacial expressions is through that emotional, like the nonverbal, so that we're allowing our partner to see that vulnerability. And like, by and large, there are blocks that get in the way, but when we can take that risk and that vulnerability and our partner sees our softened place of reveal, it's extremely hard to not turn towards. Mm-hmm. And so there's care in the relationship as you were talking about. And genuinely, when we feel that our significant other hurts and we can see the hurt, the human propensity is to want to help. Yeah. Care about you. You matter to me. And I see you're hurting and I want to help. And that's fundamentally the, the connection point. Yeah. And I, even as you were speaking, like the softness that you presented that with and that you articulated um, the way that you said it. And it was interesting. The words you said with a different tone, I think it was, I don't feel respected. A different tone, probably still feel critical. And, but in the way you said it was soft, it was kind. It was like, this is the impact it had on me. And I think again, so important to pay attention to the charge because how you regulate your voice in that conveys very different messages. And I think you've talked a lot about the vulnerability to have that moment and being willing to take that risk. It's a risk to take off all your protection, you know, take off the armor, take off the helmet, take off the, the front guard. And you're, you're sitting there, your heart's pretty bare. It's like being an emotionally naked. Yes. And when totally. I've been on this prep precipice, precipice, I feel like it's the thing that I'm not proud of. It's the very thing I don't want to say. Yeah. And it's a huge risk. Yeah. And when I can take that risk, it's the very thing that 
helps me feel what I want, which is my husband turning towards me and seeing me and responding to me. Yeah. Like you said, so often it does work out. What if it doesn't any tips for that? Yeah. You you bury your heart and they turn away or they say something mean, like you're being too sensitive, get over it. Or why can't you just move on or something like that? You bared your soul. You weren't critical. You took off all your armor and it hurts. Yes. So there, especially when we look at relationships that have a level of history in these difficult dynamics, there can be a lot of blocks that show up and it can be unsafe. And so to take this risk, there's a few things I want to say. When I started practicing this, there's a being steady in myself, right? If I can unpack and get connected and that sense of like, oh yeah, I'm scared. There's even some self-recognition of like, oh, this matters. And I want to have my back with this. So sometimes even just saying it feels relieving Mm -hmm. and cuts through a lot of the BS and can feel powerful and empowering, even despite, regardless of however our partner responds. Yeah. And at the same time, right. When our partner doesn't respond, that can be devastating. And so then there's something else to address right around. I want to feel safe to turn towards you. I want us to be in a relationship where we can understand each other and show up for each other. And we're, there's things getting in the way of that. Mm -hmm. Can we talk about that? And if the partner has no interest in, oh, you're just being dramatic, too sensitive, all these things. I mean, I think at some point getting support is really helpful because likely that person has their own defenses and protection that is making that either intimidating or scary, or they don't know how, or they Mm -hmm. feel pained and they're resentful and again, protecting themselves. So to have an extra person that's really trained and creating the safety and unpacking this can help assist. Cause I I wouldn't want anybody to be in a position where they're doing all this work to take this risk and then trying to facilitate the relational patterns to create safety, right? If you take a risk and it's not safe, and then you talk about not feeling safe and wanting to address how we feel safe and somebody's still not wanting to turn towards you. I mean, that's a lot to try to manage. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. It's a lot. I like how you said like this, this might be a clue. We might need some support. Yeah. Cause I think it's a big, big clue. If you try to, you're vulnerable, you're laying it out there and your partner's not turning towards, there's so many reasons why that might be happening, but ultimately like could be a skills deficit. Maybe they've never had anyone do that. Maybe they've never turned to anyone's before. It could be they're all their protections. There's so many things, but good point. Like it's not necessarily the role of the partner to figure that out. Um, that's a lot to manage because you got your own feelings. So yeah, support in those areas is really, really helpful. And I think that's one of the biggest barriers when I provide self-help like this podcast, we're giving, you know, suggestions about, you know, hopefully it lands well, hopefully things work out. And then the times I get messages back are like, I tried that and it didn't work. And I'm like, Oh, I know that happens. I know that sign you need some more help. And like, my heart goes out to those people that I know are so earnestly trying it still sure. lands really bad. Yes. Or like, it doesn't go over well anyway. So no kidding. No kidding. Cause as I was yeah. just saying for myself, like even with all of this 
training and practice and experience. I mean, it's still like, it doesn't, I believe in the process, but it still doesn't take away the pain or the fear of taking that risk. And then when we don't feel our partner respond, like that's, that's awful. Yes, it is. And there have been times where my part, my husband doesn't respond. And, you know, fortunately we have so much history that I have a big, I have, I have a sense of safety with him and a sense of security with him. And even in the beginning stages, I wasn't so secure and I still was able to get a little curious around, well, what makes that hard for you to turn towards me? Or, you know, and I learned like, he's an introvert. He needs time to think and feel and like really get to some sense of him before he engages in a process. Or if I'm too strong, right. That perhaps can feel intense and intimidating and overwhelming. And, you know, so it was helpful for me of like, how do I set this up for success or even to allow for him to be my hero. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and good point. Like I, I really that my husband and I, like we have pretty good communication. I'm sure, I'm sure there's times when I don't turn towards, <laughs> like I, I like to think I'm great, but I'm sure there, I'm sure there are times and there's still times when he doesn't for me yeah. with everything we know, because we're people first, but it's like, overall, can you get to that place of safety? It's not going to be, it's not going to be hundred percent all the time. It's just, can you trend in that direction? So we've talked a lot about attachment today. Yes. What what lies beneath our critical reactions, how we're reacting to criticism, what we can do instead. Is there any takeaway that you hope our listeners are hearing today or anything you want to speak on just as a final note for them? Yeah. Well, that this takes practice. It takes safety. It takes being able to slow down to be able to unpack and get to the deeper layers of this vulnerability. And that I think that increases the likelihood of us feeling clear in ourselves, having our own back, feeling more steady, and then also increasing the likelihood that our partner is going to respond to us and that we're going to feel more connected in relationships. So I think it's a both and in self-help you'll, we hear people talk about, oh, you got to love yourself first. And I think we are so much made for, so we're social animals, we're made for connection. And so that it is such an important endeavor, right? It's so easy to let life get busy and be in pursuit of achievements and acquisitions of various things. And at a fundamental level, as I mentioned earlier, this is so primary to our sense of fulfillment and happiness in life. When we really look at a life well-lived, like it's hard to imagine not feeling connected, not feeling a sense of safety and not feeling that bondedness, like that deep intimacy, like it's just such a part. And I think when we can nurture these primary relationships, it has such a ripple effect. If we have children and our extended family and our community, I think it just allows for so much more health in the system. And so when we talk about criticism, if your listeners want a free guide, I basically package this guide to give examples because people really like examples and language of like how to work with this. So it's basically a side-by-side comparison. That's like critical tendencies. Like it has like 20 examples of like what the situation is, what a critical tendency is and how to shift that into more connection and to reveal that request or reveal that fear or that need that allows our partner to respond and hopefully set it up for more connection. Mm, That sounds helpful. Yeah. Okay. So we'll link that in the show notes, but if people want to find you, follow you, learn more from you, where can they do that? 
Yeah. So my website is drjessicahiggins.com and there I provide coaching. I have some courses. I also have a podcast, which is empowered relationship podcast, which I should have you as a guest. I'm sure. I don't know if you do that, but I think I'm coming uh, on next week on your podcast. Are you? Yeah. <laughs> okay, sweet. Well then I, we already have that in place. <laughs> we do. Awesome. awesome. Yes. There we go. Uh, I love it. You were talking about Kavita doing a great job. Well, she's already two steps ahead. I like it. (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you, uh, Dr. Jessica Higgins. You've done a fabulous job today helping us understand criticism. I know we've been talking about criticism, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and we've just done a deep dive on one of those. And and you've given more thoughts and more strategies for people to uncover what their needs are and how to communicate that to their partner. And I think that just fits in so well with so much of what, what people have already heard here. And um, you just bring this really gentle energy, which is, I think mm-hmm. just a beautiful example as well of, I, I was thinking about it as we were talking like, oh yes, if I shift into that energy, when I was talking, sometimes giving feedback, I bet it would work out better. Cause although I can do it, um, you might be able to notice listeners or not. Uh, we have very different energies and mine sometimes can still come across direct. And I was thinking about, oh yes. I could take something away here. There's, there's a few places I can soften Mm. still after, after all the work I've already done. Mm. And so I just want to thank you for the beautiful work you're doing in the world, coming on the show to, to teach us. Um, I just really appreciate you. Mm, Thank you so, so much. And I am deeply honored to be here with you and that you're providing such a wealth of wisdom and insight and knowledge to people to help them up level and improve their relationships. It's powerful. Thank you for tuning in to Relationship Psych, the podcast put on by Ember Relationship Psychology. If you're looking for more free relationship help or advice that comes straight from the couple's therapy room, check out the free resources and the blog at www.emberrelationshippsychology.com.